welcome to the study of God's Word recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. So our title this morning is called The Excellence of God's Love. And this is such an important section. And yet, sometimes you even see this section on posters and people have it on their wall. But really, it's not focusing on human love. It's focusing on God's love. Because the very Greek word that Paul the Apostle uses in this section is the Greek word agape. And that's a love that has been coined to describe love that originates and comes from heaven. As I've done many weddings over the many years that I've been a pastor, I think 90% or so of the couples want to have this section read during their wedding ceremony. And I think behind it all, they're looking to one another to perform just like it says here for their blessing and hopefully I'll respond the same way. But it never was about trying to come up with what this looked like, because that was, wasn't Paul's intent when he penned this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so in this section here, verses 4 through 8, we find 16 attributes of God's love. Eight of them are put in the positive tense, and eight of them are put in the negative tense, which means God's love does not look like this. And remember, as we're reading this, Paul is writing to a group of believers in the city of Corinth down in Greece. Archaea is the name of the country at the time. And he had spent years there, almost up to three years, ministering, laying a foundation in this church in Corinth, discipling them, investing his life in them, turning the church over to leaders that are going to help them grow. And so he leaves with his traveling companions to go and minister to some other places. And then he gets a word that the wheels are coming off the chariot there in Corinth. And so so then he writes this letter and he starts off so kind in chapter one. He says, you know, you're all sanctified and set apart in Christ Jesus. Then he goes, but... You're living so unsanctified lives. And the rest of the epistle goes and just deals with issue after issue after issue. And in the middle of it all, he comes to chapter 13. And it's kind of like the high point. And it's like, brethren, this is the goal. God's love working in your life. Not what kind of gifting you have, but having God's love work in your life. But you can't have God's love indwelling your life unless you place your faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus made that clear in John chapter 14. Since God's love comes through the Holy Spirit, as we'll see, the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus said, John 14, verses 16 through 17. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. He's talking to his disciples here. That he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's what happened to these disciples. The Lord Jesus breathed upon them. The Holy Spirit came and indwelt them in their life. A whole new change took place inside. So when you place trust and faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God gives you the down payment of your inheritance, the Holy Spirit who comes to live in your life, the Holy Spirit of God. And when that takes place, then his love begins to change and flow from your life. We'll talk more about that. So in these verses, in this section here, I want to cover four main points. And those of you that are taking notes, this is uh, something you can break this down. First of all, we're going to talk about the keys to a life filled with God's love. Secondly, we're going to look at the first two attributes of God's love, kindness and patience. And then the third section is going to be grouped together, and I call it the kinks that fight against God's love. I'm not talking about the kinks back in the 60s, the rock group. I'm talking about like a hose that gets kinked and blocks the flow. And there are things that Paul lists there. And then the fourth section is the keeps on keeping on quality of God's love. It's like continuous, continuous aspect. So what I'd like us to do is just follow through. I want to get the context here. So follow through here. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8, and then we'll unpack this. Verse 1, chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, and again, this is God's love, agape, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. So let's take a look at the first section, the keys to a life filled with God's love. And the very first truth we have to wrap our minds around, and that's this, God's love originates with him, not with us. We are not called to try to manufacture God's love. We are called to distribute God's love. And that's important to understand because so often 
When Jesus says, for instance, love your enemies, you're going, man, oh man, how am I going to do that? And so you're trying to really hard to muster it up. And okay, I'm trying to like, I'm really trying God to love it. You're starting off on the wrong foot because God's love originates with him, not with us. That's the first important principle. It's a special kind of love. It's a love that's others-oriented, not self-oriented. Even though love from a human origin accomplishes so much, so sacrificial, so giving, so beneficial, yet God's love is another category altogether. And that's the kind of love that God wants to fill our life with. Take a look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit as Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, agape, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want you to look at this verse closely because he uses the word fruit singular, not the word fruits plural, even though there's nine words to describe the fruit of the Spirit. And many Bible commentators see this as being purposed because love is the very first thing mentioned and the other eight would be expressions of love. That's their idea. And you go, well, okay, maybe so. But then you get to 1 Corinthians, which was written years later, and that's exactly what Paul does. He goes and describes God's love and gives all the particular attributes that he comes up with. And remember, all of those attributes relate in some way with what's going on in the, in the fellowship in Corinth. This is what it looks like, guys, and this is what it doesn't look like, which, by the way, you're doing. And yet, it's a description of not just God's love, but God himself, what he's like. I mean, we carry over so many things from when we were growing up, so many concepts, so many opinions, so many ideas on what God is like, and we put those on him. And yet he, in his love, has described himself through his word. And so we need to let the word of God wash our hearts to say, God, am I in conflict in my life, in my perspective, with how you've revealed yourself to be? And if so, why, why am I battling with this? Why am I playing tug-of-war with all this? How come I'm having such a hard time believing what you say about yourself? What is it? What's going on in my life? And he looks to change us. He doesn't look to condemn us. He doesn't look to put us down. How can you think that about me? I can't believe it. I'm going to withhold my blessings for five months. See how you like that. I mean, is that how you think God is? He's not like that. And we need to have him heal our hearts. The Bible commentator Warren Wearsby. Oh, by the way, one more thing. As you look at, the, at these verses here on the fruit of the Spirit, did you notice that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit? You know what that means? That means that rather than you trying to control yourself, God wants to help you control and conquer the flesh by a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It comes from a different origin. I mean, I know what it's like 
When you say, okay, you know, I'm not going to get angry at that person. I'm just not. I know that they just make me so mad. And so I'm just going to control myself. And then they show up and they go, and they say something that just sets you off. Bam, bam, you know, all the springs go down and you're, you're trying to hold it in and you're just getting ready to fly off the handle. And then you, then you say things you shouldn't say. And then it just, you know, it just goes ballistic. You're trying to do it on your own. But I want the fruit of the Holy Spirit of self-control. That's a whole nother level. And so when they blast you with a character assassination, it's like the Lord shows you their heart. And so you catch it and you set it down. And you love back. That's from heaven. Because you know how we want to do I mean, you know, Facebook is a famous for, a format to blast people, to say what you want. It's kind of like hiding behind the fort and then throwing things and then hiding behind the fort. Because you never do it face to face. Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe has said in his book on being a servant of God, God's called us not to be manufacturers of his love, but to be distributors. And you know, all through this whole community, we have distribution centers, especially Amazon and some car dealerships, you know, they have the warehouses for all their parts. They don't make the parts, do they? They just distribute them. Some other company makes the parts, they come into the distribution center, and then they go out to the dealers and the uh, where uh, stores and things and the consumers. God has called us to be distributors of his love, not manufacturers, because God's love originates with him. And that's a whole different thing. And for me to love like God wants me to love, I have to be filled with his love so I can love out and not try to just manufacture it. And that's the key. You know, God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. But we've got to draw upon him. So the first thing we need to understand is God, God's love originates with him and not with the human heart. But there are times when although God gives us his love, it gets quenched, it gets cut off. When we moved back from England two and a half years ago, I had to get some supplies for our house and I had to go to Walmart and get a garden hose. And so I was tired of fighting with garden hoses. I don't, me and garden hoses don't get along. So I found this, this really high quality, sturdy garden hose. And so I took it home. I'm going, okay, we're going to conquer this. And I got one of those, you know, things that roll the hose up and all. So I've got this set up and I go and I, and I pull it out to uh, either water the plants or wash the car. And so I'm I'm pulling this out and then it starts looping like this and then it starts kinking and I'm going, no, no, no. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out which way to flip it to straighten it out and keep on pulling it. And then the thing is pulling, you know, and I'm fighting with this for 10 minutes just because I want to wash the stupid car. So finally it's all set. The hose is all out. And then I walk over to the car and as I'm walking over, it, you know, it just, it kinks. And I was going, man, come on, come on. So you're fighting with it. And you know, in 10 minutes, you're just like, I don't want to wash the car. You know, I just want to like 
give this to the dumb. I can't stand it. Because those kinks block the flow of the water. And that happens sometimes in our life. Something has gone sideways between us and the Lord or between us and the other people and the flow of God's love gets just cut off. And then rather than getting mad at the hose, you just go, Lord, show me what I need to do to untangle the knot. Or sometimes our life can be so empty, even as a Christian, and we don't sense any flow of God's love. We don't sense any life. It's been a dry, lifeless kind of experience for a while. It seems like a wilderness. What's going on? Sometimes it has to do with the fact that there's a boulder on top of the artesian well. Because you know, God gives us his Holy Spirit as a free gift. And that Holy Spirit, he is a life-giving source. It's an artesian well. Jesus said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Not livers of riving water, okay? It's rivers of living water. But how come I'm not experiencing that life? Could be there's a big boulder on top of the cap of the well, and that boulder is pride, unforgiveness, bitterness. It sits like a boulder and it quenches the spirit. And we say, God, remove the boulder, remove the boulder. He says, Well, I will help you, I will give you the strength, but you need to repent. That's how you remove the boulder, is you repent of the sin that's blocking the flow. It's just the way it is. Yeah, but I don't want to repent. I want to have him remove it. No, no, you're just entitled. (laughs) You know, you need to repent. There's an act of faith involved in that process. And he will bring that flow back. Speaking of washing the car, you know, when you have your sponge, you don't just get it wet on the outside, do you? You you plunge the thing into the bucket of water and you saturate the sponge with the water because that's how it works. God wants to saturate our life with his spirit. He doesn't want us just to have the spirit. He wants the spirit to have us. Does that make sense? It's different. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, and he includes this idea of being saturated. Follow me. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, riotous living, your life is falling apart, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I want you to notice Paul is making a parallel. Drunkenness with being filled. When you are drunk with wine legally, your blood alcohol level has reached a certain limit. 
In other words, you're saturated with the alcohol. And notice, and, and just you can look around or your own life experience in the past. When you become drunk with alcohol, it, it is a suppressant, it is a depressant, and it slows you down. It's not life-giving. But, Paul says, instead, believer, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what that means is, God, I want you to saturate my life with your spirit because it brings life, not depression. It brings health and focus and perspective instead of cloudiness. You see the connection? And look at the life that happens. There's this freedom speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. You just want to share in the Lord. I mean, there's joy in the Lord like we sang in the chorus. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's thankfulness as a result for all things. And then there's submission to others, being others-oriented. Men, yeah, you know, in a marriage, isn't that how you want your spouse to be? And that's how you're supposed to be. Have your, you know, the blessing that it would be upon your kids as parents to have a fullness of the Spirit. What a blessed house to grow up in. Not that you're ever perfect, but yet just to have that influence, super, super great. So let's go into part two now. We've talked about keys to a life filled with God's love. And now let's look at the kindness and patience of God's love. And that's in verse four. Love suffers long and is kind. Suffering long. That's the first thing that Paul mentions. He could have started anywhere. But he starts here. And Suffering long doesn't just mean enduring for a long period. It it includes something more deep. Because the word long-suffering or patience, as it's it's translated in some other uh, translations, it includes the elements of enduring even after being hurt or wronged. Loving back after being hurt. It's not in our nature to do that because we want to get back at them. You know, I'll see your offense and I'll raise you three, you know, and we want to attack. How dare they say that about me? How how dare they do that to my kids? How dare, how dare? And we'll get all wound up, don't we? But God's love is long-suffering because that's who he is. That's how he's related himself to be. Here's what that means. My offenses against God, my sins against him, my words against him, my fighting, my behaviors, my attitudes against him, they're offensive to God. But you know what he does? He catches it and he sets it aside on his son and he loves me back. That's long-suffering. That's the definition of this. Some of you remember playing dodgeball when you were a kid. You know, you either caught the ball or you got out of the way. When people throw that ball at you, whether it's an offense or an action or a word, 
God's love makes you catch it and know that Christ paid for that and you love back. Don't throw the ball back. Because that's what God has done with us. Our offend, the, the people that have offended us are, no, are not on the same level as our offenses toward God. It's not even equal. God, our offenses toward God is so much greater. And so we are commanded to forgive those who sin against us because he forgave us such a great debt. Do you see God as long-suffering with you? You need to, because that's how he's revealed himself to be. The opposite of this word is impatient, to strike back, to participate in the current council culture. And that's not how believers are to be because God's love wants to saturate their life. Secondly, God's love is kind. Kindness is the next word after long-suffering. Some commentators of the Bible have, have put these together like Siamese twins, that God's long-suffering is kind as well. But kindness should be seen as separate. And some have seen the word kindness as also translated gentleness. Kindness and gentleness. How can a God who's all-powerful, who spoke the creation into existence, be gentle? Because he is. You don't have to figure it out. That's how he's described himself to be. You can take the most strong man on the earth with all of his strength lifting up hundreds and hundreds of pounds and yet he's the father of his child who loves him deeply because he's kind. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your soul. Where the war is over, the battle's done, there's peace. There's life. Jesus said, come on. Come on under the yoke with me. This is what I want to do in your life. Would you just come? Would you just let me do this? I'll deal with you gently. I know you. I know what you've been through. I love that word. But many people can actually be uncomfortable with true kindness because of what they've lived through in their life. They've been ripped off so many times. They have been used and abused so many times that kindness becomes uncomfortable. When someone chooses to be kind, there's this thing like, you know, what's behind it? What's the agenda? You know, what are you after? Because of all that's happened. You've been hurt. Your trust has been broken again and again and again. And you've got this block. And then you put it up against God because he's trying to be kind to you. The gospel is kind. It's good news. No, I know. What, what, what does God want? And he's probably got something. He knows how I... And, and there's this defense over true kindness. And God wants to heal our life. 
He wants to bring us into freedom that's only available as we trust him and he heals our heart. If you sense that in your own life, God understands and he does want to heal, but he takes it step by step with you. Now let's take a look at the third section for this morning called the kinks that fight against God's love. These are things that block the flow. And the first one is in verse 4. God's love does not envy. Because that was happening in Corinth, in the, in the fellowship. They were envious of one another. Hey, how come you got to do it? You know, you got this spiritual gift. I don't get that. How come you got it and I didn't get it? And, and there's this bad attitude that's cropping up with the believers. He says, listen, Paul says to them, listen, God's love does not, does not envy. So when envy is happening in your life, that's not God's love working. That's you. That's sin. Now this, this whole list in, in this third section are eight qualities that are put in the negative. Envy is a work of the flesh, by the way. Here's what we read in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21. And I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. It says there, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, those three all center around sexual sin. Idolatry and sorcery. Hostility, quarreling, out, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. Envy, yes, here it is. It's a work of the flesh, not a work of the spirit. Drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now understand this. He's talking about those who practice this as a a main area of their life. They've given license to it. This is just how I want to be. Leave me alone. For a Christian who struggles with the motions of the flesh and fighting against it, he's not saying you're not a Christian if you have those temptations. He's referring to those who just kind of give a license to whatever I want to do. It doesn't matter. And Paul says, look, understand that those things absolutely will destroy your life for eternity. But the word envy, as it's used here in 1 Corinthians 13, includes the idea of not wanting the other person to have what you want. I mean, that's a little deeper. It's not just coveting, going, oh, that's a nice keyboard. I think I might like that. No, no, no. It's saying, you know what? He doesn't deserve that. I deserve that. Wow, that's going pretty deep. That's messed up. How do we free ourselves from covetousness? It's called perspective. Here's where we see that. Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 6. Let your conduct, your manner of life, as a believer, be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. And here's the reason. 
For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know what that implies? God thinks if you have him, you have everything you need because he'll take care of whatever need comes up. To say, the Lord made a promise to me to never leave me or forsake me so my life is in his hands so I don't have to covet because of fear that I'll be left out. That's huge. And then he goes on, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Sometimes at work, there's a purposed strategy to get rid of you. I've heard it. And, and, and you're trying to just walk on eggshells and be sure everything is fine. Stop. Live your life with integrity. Do your work as unto the Lord. Have a strong work ethic. Because the Lord knows who and what is happening. Your life is in his hands, not in your supervisor's hands. Does that make sense? Because that's where freedom comes. And you can love back. Let's continue on. The next four terms are under the category called self-centered. Let's just do that. God's love is not self-centered. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. All these can be grouped together under this term. Uh, and, And really, they all have one thing in common. Behold me. Look at me. Me, me, me. You know, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. And that just seems to come out. And the first one here, parade itself. To parade itself means to constantly point out your good qualities, your accomplishments, your value to whomever's around you. And you know, we've all, I think we've all had relatives that have kind of been like that. And then it's the Thanksgiving dinner and they're there at the table and you're going, man, you know, and they're just, you know, oh, I got this. Did you know, I, did you know what I accomplished the other day? And, and it's all about them. They're parading themselves. And you just want to like throw your mashed potatoes at them because you're just, you're so done with it. Stop it. You want to stand up and say, please stop it. You're driving me crazy. Shove that turkey leg right down your throat. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's not God's love, by the way. <laughs> No. Okay, the second one is to be puffed up. You know, you think of a puffer fish, you know, to be puffed up. And and that has to do with how you see yourself. It's one thing to parade and let everybody know, but the problem is the mindset. You know, you're you're looking at yourself in, in your own estimation, how important you are, how better you are than others, how your opinion is the right opinion, and if they were smart, they would just go along with what you say. That's not God's love. That's selfishness. The third one, to behave rudely. This goes deeper. This is where you devalue others in word or deed because your way is better and they should be scorned. And the picture on that is Facebook. 
And then finally, to seek one's own, love does not seek its own, is a general selfishness in every way. Because God's love isn't self-oriented. It seeks to bless others. It seeks to let them be built up rather than you being the important one. When God's love rules the heart, your life isn't going to be looking like this on a more regular basis. But let's continue on here. It says God's love is not provoked. Well, I'll love them as long as they don't provoke me. No, it goes deeper than that. You can't get away with that. And I like to just say that God's love doesn't have a short fuse. Now, some of you know that you have kind of a short fuse. It doesn't take much to get you to fly out the handle. And God wants to heal that. God wants to lengthen that fuse. At least lengthen it. He wants to heal it. Because that's a manifestation of issues going on already in your heart. Every culture that I've been ministering in, in a short-term mission or living in that culture, they all say that they have an excuse for, being a, for having a short fuse. Oh, we're Russians, and that's how, you know, we, we are just quick to get angry. And the Scots say the same thing, and the Irish say the same thing, and those from Iceland say the same thing. I mean, it's like, what? And they're just giving excuse because of their culture. That's just how we are. No, as a Christian, you can't use that as an excuse because that's not God's love. God's love does not have a short fuse. Yeah, but they make me so mad. Well, back off. Back up. Try to figure out why is it that I'm just so tense? Why is it that I have such a short fuse? That's not God working in your life because he's long-suffering. He's patient. He's kind. Actually, the word here, well, let's just define anger a minute. Anger has been defined as an agitated emotional response to a perceived evil. And the key word is perceived. Agitated emotional response to a perceived evil. You glance out your window and your neighbor walks by and his dog wheezes on your lawn. What? How can that? I mean, what? You know, and all of a sudden you're just up in arms because it's a perceived evil. Yeah, but he has no right. It's a perceived evil. There's a difference between a perceived evil and a true moral evil. God wants us to understand that there is such a thing as righteous anger. Righteous anger is when there's an agitated emotional response over a true evil that has been done. And as a believer, you should be angry at things that are totally wrong and as defined by God's word. What happens to children? What, I mean, all of that. There are true evil. There's true evil in the world. And you should have a response. If you don't have a response, then you're, you're kind of in denial of the reality of the evil. But it gives you no excuse to respond to that evil in a sinful way. 
Well, I'm going to just slash their tires. Well, they deserve that. Right, that's nice as a Christian. What a good witness. You, You can't justify responding sinfully even when there's a righteous anger that occurs. But most anger that we have is sinful anger. It's selfish anger. Perceived evil. How dare they? How dare they say that? How dare they do that? And it's all about me. God's love doesn't have a short fuse. And we can't excuse it. And we've got to ask him, Lord, help me to love back. How can you bless your... How can you bless those who curse you? That's what Jesus said. How do you love your enemies? You can't do it. I can't manufacture that. God, please have mercy on me. Fill me with your spirit. Is there anything blocking the flow of your love in my life? I need you, God. Please heal my life. He's right there to do that. And finally, in verse 6, God's love does not rejoice in iniquity. No, let's look at the end of verse 5. God's love thinks no evil, which means keeps no record of wrong suffered. So you let go of the wrongs that have been done to you because his love understands that what they have done to you was paid for by Jesus along with yours and you can love back and that takes the power of God to do that in your life and then finally in verse 6 God's love doesn't rejoice in iniquity because holiness is a part of God's love for a believer to use sexual innuendo in joking with their um, comrades and their um, colleagues you know it, it's, it, it's not appropriate it's not God's love and just the, the, man, it just drives me crazy. You can't just compartmentalize your life and be religious on Sunday and Wednesday night and then at work. You're just like the world with your thoughts and you're, you're laughing at the jokes and you're putting it in and you're encouraging it. You need to repent because holiness is, is who God is and his spirit, you know, you're blocking the conviction of the spirit. You should be uncomfortable in things that are that God considers sin. Doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Let's go now to the fourth main area of this morning, the keeps on keeping on quality of God's love. And then we see six of the eight positive attributes of God's love uh, penned by Paul here. And we see here, God's love rejoices in the truth. And that's the truth from God's perspective. It's not truth based on the culture. It's not truth based on the mores of the time. It's truth based upon who God is. His very nature defines the truth. Rejoices in the truth. Rejoices when truth wins out. And God's love in verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let's define those four terms. Bears all things doesn't just mean, you know, he's dealing with it and, oh, 
you know, I'm trying to endure. No, it goes deeper. The word bear here means yogi. No, I'm just kidding. The, the word bear here means a covering, a roof. Much like a mother bird will protect its young. A covering. God's love covers us. How I need that. He's got my life. He wants to take care of me. God's love bears all things. And that also has to do with other people as you see them in their trouble. Rather than condemning them, you want to, you want to cover them. Paul says in Galatians 6, if a brother or sister is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself. That has to do with rather than spreading abroad all their evil, you want to cover them and you want to help them. You want to be a protection. God's love believes all things. This means that Actually, this means to believe the best first. To look to the end that God has in mind for the events that occur. God is in it for the long game. You know, when a coach is, is uh, playing and playing his team and he's got a strategy for the game, the first quarter was miserable. The strategy didn't work. But the coach is in it for the long game. And not just for that game, but for the season, right? And so he wants to have a winning season. And so if the pre-season games have to be trials and testings for the team, he's not concerned about losing the game because he's looking at the end goal. And so God is looking at the end goal in our life. And he looks at us and he says, I know what I can do with the likes of you. I know what I can do. Everybody else writes you off and go, he's history. You know, I don't want to be around him. I don't even want to sit next to him in church. But God says, hey, I know what I can do with this one. He read the file when he adopted us out of the world's orphanage. He saw everything in the file, all of our shenanigans, all of our sins. He folds it puts it there and says, I want this one. Yeah, but why would you want them? Because I know what I can do, and I know how they'll glorify me. God chose you out of the world's orphanage, those of you who are believers. You realize that? He adopted you into his family when no one else wanted you, when Satan wanted to destroy your life. Because God loves you, because he believes the best first. Yeah, but I failed so much. Yeah, but, you know, just be a good student. Let's learn from those failures and let's go on. Do you see God like that? Or do you see him as, you know, someone that you've got to be very careful with because, boy, when he gets mad, it's a bad thing. God's love believes all things and that's how he wants us to see other people. <clears throat> when you see a person on the street and you think, man, they're a washout, stop it. Because how does God see them? You'd be surprised that people you're sitting next to, you probably wouldn't want to met before they knew the Lord. God's love hopes all things. That's because he's a foundation 
uh, that foundation is on the promises of God's word. It's not a hope where you say, I hope it works out. No, it's a hope. It's a confident assurance of what you know will happen. And rather than focusing on the promises, which are important, you need to focus on the promise giver because if he's faithful, all of that will happen. So rather than being a promise keeper, you want to look at the promise maker and set your hope on him because he'll sort it out. There are Christians today who are being tortured and in prison for their faith in Christ. Where's the promise of God in their life? It's sure. God is being faithful even in the midst of that, and he is able to use this. And when heaven shows it, it will, you will see the glory of God through all that's happening. <clears throat> and then God's love endures all things, never gives up. Never. God is going to pursue us and pursue us and pursue us. And we are to never give up on others. Have you given up on somebody? God hasn't given up on you. And even though you don't know what to do with them, maybe your kid has been wayward for like 10 years and there's nothing you it just seems that every time I try to help them bring them back it just gets worse and you just go I give up no don't give up because God never gives up God is working behind the scenes and you've got to trust God and not the circumstances that are surrounding your kid because you know your kid is your kid even if they're 70 years old, he's still there. They're your kid. <laughs> you know, you remember him in diapers. I changed your diapers, you know. And they're just still your kid. Don't give up. And finally, as we close, God's love never fails. Verse 8. Never comes to an end. Never becomes obsolete or unnecessary. Never fades out like the second law of thermodynamics. God's love is constant. Keeps on keeping on. I need God's love. God, I need you to flesh out my life. I want that life that only comes from the Holy Spirit, your spirit. This morning, there may be some of you, maybe some of you listening online, you're listening to this whole teaching and you're going, well, that's nice for you, but I don't know. You don't know my life. Well, God knows your life. And I want to tell you, you're not too big of a project for God. God wants to take and heal your life. But you've got to let him do it. Stop fighting with God. Oh, you, you, you know, you think you know everything. You don't. God wants to heal your life. Trust him. I know you've had your trust broken so many times, but you can trust God. For those of us here this morning, we may have touched upon some things going on in your life. And I just want you to know that God will do the work that's impossible in your mind. 
I know we've covered a lot of things this morning about God's love. Um, I put together a book uh, a few years ago just about that called um, True Love Begins with God. That's available downstairs. goes into much more detail. And that's up to you. But today, don't leave here without doing business with God. It's no coincidence that I'm here this Sunday and you're here. God is speaking to your heart. Let's not go out and just go, that was interesting. If God's speaking to your heart, let's do business with the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit who is able to change us. And we thank you, Lord, that you understand more deeply than anybody could ever understand, more than we understand ourselves. And we're asking that this day, July 10th, would be a day day of absolute transformation in our life. That you'd show us if there are any boulders that are just stopping the flow of God's love through our life. That we would repent of those sinful actions and attitudes. That you'd give us the strength to repent and push that boulder off and let your love flow once again. And Father God, if there, are any, if there are any here listening online or watching online or in the sanctuary here that have not yet surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, move upon their heart even now to take that risk, take that step and believe on the name of Jesus. If this is you this morning, all God is looking for is for you to come to him with an honest sincere heart confess your sin and ask him to forgive you and he will send the gift of the Holy Spirit within your life and you can begin to experience this love of God that we've talked about and if you're going to ask me Lord well how do I pray to God and just just be honest just say God forgive me of the sin of my life I repent and I turn to you Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Send your Holy Spirit into my heart. Something along that line. God's not looking for exact words, but he's looking for your heart. And that's what we offer to him. And he'll do the rest. You can't manufacture God's love, but you can distribute it if he puts it in your life. So Father, use these things today in our life, through our life, in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, Visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.